0: All right, so Hebrews chapter 2, short study this morning, verses 10 through 13. Still following up thematically on this idea that um, the writer's been addressing, where they're like, well, you know, Jesus is great, but, you know, he delivered the message of the new covenant, but the message of the old covenant was delivered by these amazing angelic beings and they didn't have the limitation of human flesh in all of this. So the writer is talking about all of the glories and the benefits and the necessities of Jesus taking on human flesh. So much like we studied last week, we're just going to go into a different aspect of that same argument. We begin reading there in verse 10. It says, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So the title of the study is the necessity of suffering. And we're going to look at this as the necessity of Jesus suffering, but then we're going to walk into this application of how we suffer and how the Lord wants to use that. So that's kind of the target of our, our study this morning. We begin here by reading that it's the Father who created all things and for whom all things are created. So created by him and for him. God the Father is the one that's spoken of as being the creator here. And this should not give us any trouble that we've read earlier that Jesus um, holds all things together by the word of his power or in uh, Colossians where it talks about he is a creator of all things. wait a minute, it's Jesus. And now here we're reading about the father. Well, in Genesis, you can read about the spirit being a part of creation. The fact that we worship a triune God that is a a one God manifesting himself in three distinct uh, personalities. This is exactly what we would expect to read in scripture is that. They are all working together. But here we're reading about the Father who created all things and for whom all things are created. Knowing that we are part of God's purposeful design is important. It is so important that we know that we're not an accident, that we're not a mistake. And even if you maybe were one who was, you know, your parents had you, and you're put up for adoption, and you're thinking, well, what about me? Listen, listen, you may not have been planned by your parents, but God was not surprised. He knew from the foundation of the world that you would be on this planet, and when you were being formed, we read that the Lord knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you. He is overseeing you. So, there, there's a part of us that's always struggling against this idea that I'm a mistake and do I really belong? Do I really have a purpose? And about the meaning of my life? Well, look, you are made by the Lord and you are made for the Lord. This gives meaning, purpose, and responsibility. But well, let's talk about the meaning and purpose for a moment. Have you ever accidentally showed up at a meeting that you weren't supposed to be a part of? Maybe not all of us have done that. I think I've managed to do that a couple of times. But, you know, it's an awkward feeling. It's like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. And, um, you know, um, if that person where you show up is like, yeah, I, I'm sorry I didn't communicate this properly. know, you weren't supposed to be here. And if they're saying, but that's okay, just go ahead and stay. You, you're going to feel awkward the entire time. I'm going I'm to backpedal like 100 miles an hour and get out of that situation. Um, you know, now not everybody would do that. We all have different personalities. And you're like, well, well, thanks for the invitation. You know, you, you kind of missed the whole idea that you're just there. And, um, you know, you really weren't invited. So, well, thanks for the invitation. I will stay. Yes, I'll enjoy myself. And you'll go through that whole evening, and you'll be able to enjoy yourself as if you were the number one guest. You got that kind of personality. Praise the Lord for you. We need people like you. I'm not that guy. I would be self-conscious the entire time. And then people maybe would come in, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the theme of the party, you know? (laughs) Didn't know I was supposed to be here. And if you would feel awkward and out of place and showing up at a simple event that you weren't invited to, and it's like, I'm here on accident, and if it can make you feel so uncomfortable, imagine thinking about being an accident in this world, that you weren't created right. You were created right. You are the right gender. You are here at the right time in the history of the world. You have a place here. God created you. We don't believe in evolutionary accidents. We believe in a purposeful design by a loving creator, God. He's not surprised at you. He's glad that you're here. He's got a plan for your life. So not only have you been created... uh, By him, you also are created for him. So not, I mean, it just takes it kind of even a step, you know, deeper in importance. It's not just that you're here. Well, okay, God had a plan for me. But no, you're here for him. You're here for him and his purposes. He's got a plan and a design for your life. And he wants you to walk in it. And he wants you to experience this purpose. So we have a responsibility. Not only do we have a, a great uh, purpose, but we have a responsibility to do that which He created for us to do. And if you're to ask, well, what is that? Well, you got to discover Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior first, and that He's created you for meaningful works of service in this lifetime that will impact for all of eternity. And he also is giving you, as a believer, a spiritual gift, maybe multiple gifts to be used within the church to bring edification to the body of Christ. If you doubt me on that, it's 1 Corinthians 12. Go read it on your own. To each one of us is given a spiritual gift, and we are to use that spiritual gift to bring edification to all those people that are around us. You can know that you've been created by God and that you have a purpose. But I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm not going to back off on this, that if you are not engaged in walking out your spiritual gift, you're still going to struggle with this idea of significance and purpose. You're, you can know it in your head, but it's the walking it out, it's the living it out. that just There's so much delight that comes from being used by God and a spiritual endeavor and a spiritual work that he has intended. And so I'm just going to be so bold. If you are not serving the Lord and walking in your spiritual gift within the body of Christ, get to work. This is what I want you to do. I want you to overwhelm the staff this week. I want you to, if you're not serving, I want you to put your name in there. And we're just going to put you where the greatest need is to get, get the work done. And say, well, what if that's not my spiritual gift? If you're not serving, don't worry about it. You can can start serving the Lord and you can find that place to get plugged in where it lines up with your spiritual gift right away. But Paul told Titus to teach his people to meet the urgent need. So start serving. Use... Your, 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 your time on this planet to be invested in the body of Christ and you will be discipled and you will come to learn what your place is in the body of Christ. But if you are just holding out and you're waiting and well, I gotta know, I gotta have the perfect opportunity to serve the Lord and you've been waiting for a year, you've been waiting too long. There are needs, there's opportunities. We're not in crisis mode, but you've been created by him and for him and there's nothing that's more exciting than being used by the Lord witnessing and sharing the gospel into a lost world you know this past uh, so last Sunday was my first Sunday back and um, right after third service believe it or not I got on a plane and I traveled to Indiana and I taught at a conference up there and then came back um right away on Wednesday morning uh Wednesday afternoon and then taught uh Wednesday night so it was kind of a, a whirlwind of a trip and it was a great conference but you want to know what the most exciting thing was I was at the Charlotte airport and um I uh, didn't have time to eat before I got on the plane, and so um, I needed to stop at a restaurant. I Had a little bit of layover. Went over, sat down, and ended um, sitting, you know, by these, you know, handful of people. And then I'm getting conversation. Got to share the gospel with this guy that doesn't know the Lord, and he's a, you know, he's a mechanical engineer living in a different country that gave up his profession because he likes to drink and party and became a bartender. By the way, this is what he said. He says, you know, in this thick Scottish accent, he goes, you know, you and me are kind of the same. I go, how is that? And and he says, he goes, you're talking to people, he goes, the people you talk to on Sunday morning, I talk to on Saturday night at the bar. (laughs) And I said, well, I hope you're not exactly right, but I'm afraid that maybe you are. And we had a great time to share. You know, that was a highlight of my trip. I could have got on the plane and just come straight back home. Because it was so awesome to be used by the Lord. And whatever it is that you engage in and get to share the gospel with or or serve. Many of you sisters served this past weekend. And you're able to to help people. This is what we need to be doing. So you're created by him and you're created for him. And I, I hope you see that. You know, as we talk about purpose and meaning, I know that there would be some in here with it that are looking at maybe even contemplating taking your life because you feel like you are so meaningless on this planet. You lack such purpose. And I just want to tell you that God loves you, created you, and you have a purpose. And, and you need to get those thoughts out of your mind and you need to engage in what the truth of God's word says about you and who you are and serving him. And if you are struggling and feeling that way, then, you, you know, reach out to us. Let us know. There's there's pastors on staff that would love to meet with you. or sisters in the Lord that would love to walk with you through this and help you understand your purpose and your meaning. We keep on moving there in verse 10. We're going to look at being here for a little bit. It says, so we're created by him and for him. But it says that it was fitting for him... To make, I'm going to skip that phrase we just looked at, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So we're talking about Jesus. So the Father made the Son. It was a fitting thing that he did to make Jesus the captain of our salvation. The word captain here. Kagos is the idea of a trailblazer, someone that goes ahead. So in my uh, mind's eye, as I think of a trailblazer, um, just physically speaking, I think of somebody that's just hacking their way through a jungle and making a path that everybody walks behind can see and walk through. And that's what Jesus did. He is the captain, He is the founder. He is the originator of our salvation. And Jesus came, and he, as a captain it was fitting that he should should bring the salvation through suffering which gets back to the main point which is this jesus had to take on a human body the incarnation is totally necessary Because it's in the incarnation that he suffered. And in suffering, he provided the way. We're thinking of the cross when we talk about suffering with Jesus. He provided the way for our sins to be atoned for. So is it necessary that he has a body? Oh, yeah, it's fitting. It's proper. In the, in the one who is determined that it was right that he has a body is the one who created everything and for whom everything is created. So you may stand back and say, well, I don't think the incarnation is, you know, a, a necessary thing. Well, you judge yourself by disagreeing with the one who's made everything. You don't judge him. You look at God and you dismiss the Lord and your thought and your evaluation. You judge yourself. You're not judging God. God is not going to be uh, uh, thought of as being any less. It's you that loses out. But it's this one who's made everything, that thought it was fitting that Jesus should provide salvation for us through suffering, dot, 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 by having a body, by coming in human flesh. So while they may not understand why uh, Jesus had to come in the flesh, it was God the Father's plan that he would... Uh, redeem this. Bring as it says, bring many sons to glory. And this is where you're destined. This is where you're going. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you've put your faith and trust in Him, as we talked about last week, you're you're headed to that place of glory. And what a joy it's going to be when we arrive in that place. So it is fitting that Jesus suffered. Now, what we read there, kind of towards the end of verse ten. It's this one word that kind of gives us a little bit of trouble. It says, to make the captain of their salvation perfect. To make him perfect? Isn't he already perfect? Isn't the pre-incarnate Christ, the Logos, isn't he already perfect, the second person of the Godhead? And the answer is, he absolutely is. But he was going to take on the role as not just creator and sovereign God, but he was going to take on the role of redeemer. And he was going to have to suffer and die. So he, in the state that he was in, without a body, could not have suffered and took that penalty in his human body. So in order to be made complete, or you could say you even use the word adequate, he had to take on that human flesh. So it's not that there was a deficiency in his moral character. It's not that there was a deficiency in any aspect of his divinity. It's that he was not a man. And so he had to do that. In becoming a man, he, made, he was made adequate to be that suffering for us. If you weren't here last week, as we talked about Jesus as our kinsman redeemer, I encourage you to go listen to it. It's at the end of the study we talked about this. But this is God's plan. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to take on human flesh. Suffering was part of the plan of God for redemption. And, you know... God could have redeemed. He is sovereign Lord. He could have redeemed any way He wanted to. But He wanted Jesus to take on human flesh that, and, and suffer to redeem us. And, you, and one thing that that does for us, it speaks to us of God's love for us. Because He didn't just redeem you out of necessity and out of a sense of obligation, He redeemed you out of His love which again just speaks to us of the value and the purpose that we have in the eyes of the Lord. He created us. He created us for him. And then he recreates us in love through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So you are loved by God. You're not just one of many. You are one whom he is very familiar with. Jesus said about this idea of suffering as part of the plan of God in Luke 24 46, he says, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? Jesus said of himself and going to the cross that this needed to happen. This, this is proper. This is right. You're troubled by this, but this is what needed to happen. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, speaks of the necessary part of suffering in the redemption of mankind. Let me read to you. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. His suffering. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And all of these are allusions to the things that he experienced in his physical body. His body being bruised, blindfolded, and being punched by the Roman guard saying, Prophesy, who is it that punched you? It's the the spear into his side. It's it's the, the Roman whip on his back. All of this happening to his physical body, it's necessary that Jesus came in the flesh. And so, yes, this is why the incarnation is, is uh, in place. Now we're talking about Jesus as being the sufferer, the one who has gone before us. But he's gone before us as a pilgrim. He's gone before us as a, as a trailblazer, we said. So if you're going to be a trailblazer, the idea behind that is others are going to come behind you, right? So he blazed the trail in salvation, right? He suffered, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. So he, he, he blazed that trail of, of dying and rising from the dead. And in faith, we die with him and we rise with him. But there is another aspect outside of the salvation of our soul where Jesus is a trailblazer in suffering as well. And that's just in general life. Jesus is a forerunner. He is an example of how to walk through trials. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 21. And and this comes from the New Living Translation. It says, For God is pleased when when conscious of his will, you patiently endure just treatment, suffering. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. So not for salvation, but just in life. As we seek to follow the Lord, we're going to encounter difficulty and hardship. And the Lord has given us his son as a captain, as a pilgrim, as a a forerunner in suffering of how we should live. So I want to look at a couple of different, I think five or six points here under the idea of suffering as a believer of how we should suffer. And some of them are going to come directly from the life of Jesus because he is our example. Some of these are going to come through direct uh, instruction to us as believers. The first one is that suffering provides an opportunity to submit to the will of God. And Jesus is our example here, isn't he? In Matthew 26 verses 38 and 39, Jesus is in the garden awaiting uh, to be arrested and go to uh, calvary and be put to death and we read him praying he says my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death stay here and watch with me he says to his disciples he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying "O oh, my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me this cup of suffering nevertheless not as i will but as you will We often run from hardship. The the natural inclination is not to go through difficulty. And even the son says, if there's a way to redeem mankind other than me suffering and drinking this cup, then may that happen and may this suffering pass. But ultimately, Father, I want to do and will do whatever you want me to do. And this becomes our example. That in suffering, we submit ourselves to the Lord And while it is fine and biblical to pray and have others pray for deliverance out of that circumstance, there always needs to be this added statement, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Lord, if you know that I need to walk through this road of suffering for myself, and we'll see in just a moment as we go through these points, or for somebody else, then Lord, I'll take it. I'm I'm gladly willing to step into this because I trust you. I don't understand the suffering, but I trust you. I trust that you're a sovereign God. I wonder if at times if we make a big enough deal over the fact that God is sovereign. That he knows everything, that he sees everything, that he is in charge of everything. And that even if there are things that I'm enduring at the hands of somebody else who's in sin, which they are responsible, God is still sovereign. Sovereign. And he can still work through those circumstances in your life that are brought suffering. And you may, why would somebody do this to me? It's not fair. It's not right. Okay, it's called sin. But that's not the end of the story for you. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Lord. And so the story and the outcome is much different because we know that God is able to work through those circumstances. Think about it. Did Jesus deserve to go to the cross? No, he didn't deserve to go to the cross. He's the creator of the universe. But he went there to do um, and, and was sent there by the lawless hands of those who crucified him. But yet God used even their lawlessness to fulfill the purposes of God. That's sovereignty. That even when somebody's doing something that's sinful and wrong, God can still take that sinful and wrong thing, which he condemns, and use it to advance his purposes. So yes, maybe you are suffering at the hands of somebody as we read there in first Peter but submit to the will of God and say Lord let all this cup to pass but if you've got a plan in this I want it and I trust it secondly a suffering in the life of the believer provides an opportunity to see God's strength and grace I never see the power of God well here's one way you can see it is to go through suffering and trials it's not the only way. I'm not saying it's God's primary way, but it is a way that we can see the power and the strength of God. Second Corinthians 12, eight through 10, Paul writes in his suffering, concerning this thing, this, this you know, sickness, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it may depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, my sicknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The very thing you are going through right now may be the occasion for God to manifest his strength and power. But you know what? Maybe the Lord's even come to you and he's like, listen, daughter, listen, son, I know what you're going through. I see what you're going through, but I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to give you this. And you, maybe you've even responded and say, I don't want help through it. I want out of it. Keep your, keep your, your strength for sustaining for somebody else. I want that power for deliverance. That's what I'm, that's what I want. But that's not going to come every time. Sometimes God will deliver. And if you're praying for that, don't let me slow you down from praying for it. But this is what I will say. If you've been praying for deliverance, and we are years down the road in that prayer, and deliverance has still not come, it may come to tomorrow. But if you for the months and years have been praying for deliverance, and it hasn't come, and all of life is on pause waiting for deliverance and you can't step forward and you can't move forward until this thing changes. I'm telling you, you've got to change your perspective. You've got, you've got to change. Well, I, I'm afraid that if I accept it, that God won't deliver. Do you really think he's like that? He is not like that. Maybe you know a person that's like that, but it's not your heavenly father. He does not behave like that. He is going to do the best for you and he knows what the best is. And if he is allowing you to go through this this trial, then look for the sustaining power and grace of God. May your prayer today sound something like this. Lord, you know that I've prayed three times, 30 times, 300 times for this thorn in my flesh to be removed and you've not done that. So Lord, I'm gonna assume for at least the time being, you wanna manifest grace and strength in this circumstance. And so, Lord, I'm going to receive it. You know, know, the distresses come from without, but don't allow your soul to be distressed within. And if you're distressed looking for deliverance and it has not come, then you need to refocus your attention on strength to get through what you're going through. Yeah, but I don't want to. Yeah, but that doesn't change circumstances, does it? If what we wanted changes circumstances, we would never have anything we don't like because we would always have we'd want it and if we had the ability to choose the right thing but what if the Lord knows what if the Lord knows that if he delivered you out of the circumstance that you're in that your eyes would go off of him and would go on to something else now that happens I mean it happened to the nation of Israel you can read about it in the book of Deuteronomy so that happens so what if the Lord was like, no, I'm going to keep this difficulty, this, this distress, this persecution, this infirmity, or even as he says there in uh, 2 Corinthians, these needs in your life because it makes you dependent on me. And this is what is needed in your life to get you to the other side safely. You know, we may not like that, but really what all, those, all of us should do is say, all right, Lord, then I'll take it. I sign up. I gladly accept what you have if that's going to get me to the other side. So look to submit to the will of God. Look to see his strength and grace in your life. Number three, it provides us an opportunity to comfort others. Second Corinthians one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. And if you're following along in your Bible in verse three, Kind of the last phrase that says, that we, that word that. Anytime you read the word that in scripture, you need to slow down and really pay attention to the word that. Because it's giving you a conclusion. It's giving you a purpose. He says, so you're going through this. He's comforting us in all our tribulation. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also endure. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Man, what maturity. He's at the place where he's able to just accept comfort or affliction. And he says, if God wants to do this so that I can better minister to you, Corinthians, then I'm all right with it. If God wants me to go through tribulation so I can experience his power and his comfort, so I can turn around and go to those who are experiencing the same things and I can say to them, listen, this is how God comforted me. Let me comfort you now in the ways in which God has worked in my life. He says, then I'm all right with it. That is a surrendered servant of the Lord. This guy talking to you right now needs to grow in that. I imagine a lot of you would say the same thing. Rather than wringing our hands in distress over the troubles that have come, Paul's like, wait, distress? Okay, God, I know what God's doing. God is working in me that I might be able to use that same comfort in their life. What you're going through, God wants to use in somebody else's life. Yeah, but what they, they, I've been sinned against. Yeah, that's, that's the whole idea. It's unjust, it's unfair. And people deal with injustice. People deal with the, you know, the, the intentions that um, they have to do wrong. Maybe you've recently endured that. And rather than only getting upset and wringing your hands in disgust at this person, maybe you need to say, Lord, I bet there's somebody else out there who also has suffered injustice has been mistreated, and I surrender myself to that, Lord. Lead me to them. Fourth point is that it provides an opportunity to rejoice in the Lord. Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus is our example, that captain for us in suffering. We read of him looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, that what I want to draw your attention to is who for the joy that was set before him, although there was a cross of suffering, he looked and he saw the joy of what God was going to accomplish. James one, two says, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And where we read all, you could actually substitute. And some translations have it, not the word all, but it has the word pure. Pure means not having a mixture of anything else. Pure joy. And that's, that's the challenge for all of us is to live in the midst of trials of all kinds is to live with pure joy. This is what the Lord calls us to. Your, your present suffering is an opportunity to bring praise and worship to the Lord. Lastly, it provides an opportunity to be perfect, lacking nothing. Now that sounds pretty favorable, doesn't it? Perfect, lacking Nothing. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy. We just read it. When you fall into various trials, knowing, and, and do you know this? Do I know it? Not did you know it or have you heard it? Do you walk in this truth in this reality? That the testing of your faith, sufferings, produce patience. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, isn't this interesting? We read back there in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus, um, the captain of their salvation, perfect through sufferings. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. And now we read here what? That we're going to be made perfect through suffering. He's the trailblazer. He went through it for the purpose of our salvation. But God has purposes not for. We're not going to go save somebody, but for the development of our faith in his purposes. It provides an opportunity. What you're going through will be used by God to develop you out and to round you out in your thoughts, in your life, and in your emotions. And we just need to learn to relax in the Lord and rest in the Lord. And I, I can hear some of you screaming right now. It's like, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. And something's got to be done by you by me? How about by the Lord? He's working. He's doing something. Your willingness to accept what's going on and to look for the Lord is not going to keep you in a trial or suffering a second longer than God knows you're going to be there anyway. So all we're doing is just burning spiritual calories, if you will, and tiring ourselves out. If we can just come to the place where we trust this maker of ours, if we can just say, if we could just add into our vocabulary this phrase, the Lord knows. This, this, and this, but the Lord knows. But the Lord knows. He knows what you're going through, and if you know he's a good Lord, then you're Okay moving on back in hebrews we'll wrap it up here pretty quickly and get ready to go into communion verse 11 we're going to be introduced to Jesus' humanity uniting us as one so he's talked about how he needed to suffer to bring many sons to glory but now he's going to talk about how Jesus' humanity makes us one with him and I'm definitely worthy of more time than we're going to spend here but look look at verse 11 with me hebrews 2:11 for both he who sanctifies god and those who are being sanctified, us, are all of one. The point of this verse is of one. We are one with him. Remember the idea of the kinsman redeemer we talked about last week? We're one with him. Jesus taking on human flesh unites us with him. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We're one and that's why he calls us brothers. Brothers share the you know, same family. He is in the family of mankind. And so he calls us brothers, and he's not ashamed to do that. All of us have been ashamed to identify with some group we're involved with. It could be the church at large when people air and it becomes public news. It could be with the way maybe your family's behaved. It could be with the person. You know, the, I don't know. You can figure it out. We all know what it's like to be ashamed, but the Lord's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to say, that's my sister. That's my brother. Because we are of one and we share this unity together. Ralph Harris says, what a beautiful statement. He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Christ had many reasons to be ashamed of the race to which he belonged. And yet he is one with us. Even his prayer speaks of this, his high priestly prayer in John 17. He says, as he prays to the Father, that they all, us, believers, may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So he prays for our unity, but doesn't stop there. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He prays that we would share a unity with him that the son and the father he has brought us into this and so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is because of the incarnation because he's taken on humanity and to back up this point he quotes from three Old Testament passages and you see them there in verse 12 is the first one I will declare your name to my brethren that's the emphasis there In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. So this is from Psalm 22, 22, clearly a messianic psalm. And here he is spoken of as being a brother to us. I will declare your name to my brethren. So even in the Old Testament, it talked about him becoming a brother. How does he become a brother? Through the incarnation. Um, And then we read again. Another quote, uh, Isaiah 8, verse 17. He says, and again, I will put my trust in him. The point here is Isaiah had to put trust in the Lord. And so the Lord is going to have to put trust in him. Like man must put trust in the Lord. So the son in the incarnation had to put trust in the father like us. That unity theme. And then lastly, um, that last quote. At the end of verse 13, it says, here am I and the children whom God has given to me. Again, quoting from Isaiah. And the emphasis there is the word children. So if you're looking at these quotes, um, it would be the the key word in each of them in verse 12 would be declare, uh, not declare, would be brethren. Then in verse 13 is um, trust. He had to trust. And then again, children. The idea, he calls us his children. And, um, and being a part of the family, and again, the idea of be sharing the same family. So the author's point is pretty simple. The Old Testament scriptures demand that he would take on human flesh, that he could be our brother, that he could learn to trust, like the prophet said he would trust, that he would be able to call us children to be of the same family. So although they may wonder at the limitations of taking on human flesh, Versus angels who had delivered the old covenant. He says, listen, this is necessary for your salvation. It's fitting that he became like this. And the Old Testament prophets spoke. We're going to be able to share in communion here in just a a moment, which is where Jesus suffered. It's a reminder of where Jesus suffered. The bread is going to come around. You can take this and hold on to it. The cup will come and they'll be stacked together. And as they come, I want you just to begin to think that Jesus is your trailblazer. Jesus is the one that has gone to prepare salvation for you and he had to suffer. But it doesn't stop there. He continues to be an example for us in our present moment. I mean, you look around here, there's hundreds of people in here. You know there are people that are going through like the trial of their life right now. But give enough time. We all are gonna find ourselves there. What do we do? Well, the word of God tells us. It tells us how to suffer. We look to the one that's cleared the path, and we walk like that. Oh, you can remain in distress, and you can work yourself up into a froth trying to get out of the, the difficulty, but the Lord would just say, trust in me. Rest in me. Rejoice in me. Submit to my will. Let me use you. These are the words of the Lord to you. So, as the elements come around, which remind us of how Jesus suffered and died on the cross, be thankful and rejoice in that. But also allow that secondary application of how to go through suffering. And if you're not in the place, if you're not handling it the way you're supposed to, then repent. (laughs) Tell the Lord you're not. And say, I want to be used. I want you to accomplish your will in these circumstances. Maybe you need to tell the Lord you're sorry. Maybe you are so mad at Jesus today. You're just so mad at Him that He's letting you go through these things. Listen, you are called to this. You are called to follow the Lord. And you will find a fullness, a perfection, and a completeness if you will surrender to the Lord this morning. And you'll stop kicking and screaming in his lap. Rest in the Lord. So as these elements come around, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, take them. and We'll share together. And um, so let's pray and prepare our hearts. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. It gives us an example. It gives us an understanding of who you are and what you've done. And Lord, we see it here today in these scriptures we've read is that Lord, in everything, our life is like yours. Even in ways we wouldn't think to say or speak that you were made perfect as a captain of our salvation through suffering, even as we will be made perfect in your suffering and then in our own trials, Lord. We are like you in this world. And Lord, what a privilege it is to be like you. Give us the grace, give us the strength we need to go through these circumstances. Maybe you've even contemplated before you had walked in this morning of like, I'm done with Jesus because of all these things. This thing doesn't work. Hey, what do you mean by work? Mean save you? Provide an example for you? It works. And He is working. You gotta rest in him, though.